This series has been amazing. I've, I've loved what God's doing in my own life. You know, a lot of time as a pastor, like, you can kind of look as pastor and be like, it's all about the ministry that's flowing out. But my favorite part, what no one can ever can take from me, is what the ministry that God does in my life. And you can't take anything away from that. And I just love how in a series called The Arrival of Joy, how difficult I've had to fight for that in the past few weeks. It feels like everything in the world is happening, uh, whatever that law is, where anything that could go wrong does go wrong, whatever that one is. That's what I felt like my life's looked like for the past three weeks. And it's been so good because God just... Um, just narrows it down to delighting myself in him and making sure that my joy is coming from him. Uh, last Friday was actually a great example. Thursday, we had baptism last week, which was amazing, awesome. Give it up for those who got baptized. We're just praising God for, for an amazing baptism Sunday last weekend. Um, but uh, that Thursday, we thought we were going to be smart because it was a super cold weekend, and we were going to get the tub filled up and let it kind of climatize and be nice and uh, warm by the time Sunday rolls around, and I got a text at like 9.45 that uh, it was leaking, and so water was in this whole area, like up to like the second row and filled here, um, we had this big tub here, and so that, that was exciting, so I, you know, um, got that uh, Friday morning and woke up to that, and so my day changed from what it was going to be to um, uh, renting a carpet cleaner and coming in here and emptying this tank, and and I was so frustrated because, for those of you that don't know, we'd had like three burglaries in the past like two weeks, and it's just been, it's been like everything that could go wrong. And if it wasn't that, it was something else, and, and life has just kind of turned upside down. And I think that's the whole kind of purpose of this joy thing that God gives us in our life is that we wouldn't be shaken by external circumstances. But here on last Friday, I, I'm, I'm feeling shaken by external circumstances. I, I've like had it up to here with the, anything that could go wrong going wrong. I was just ready for something to go right. And I had so much frustration, so much anxiety, and, my stre- and stress as we plan and prepare for this holiday season. Anybody else been fighting any of that? Am I the only one? Maybe you've been fighting some of that too. And uh, I, I just was here, and, and I was, it was so funny that I, I just said, what, why am, am I experiencing this? God's given me joy that I can encounter. And in this time, I just said, all right, I'm turning the speakers up, I'm turning the outside speakers off, and I'm just going to worship in here. And so I just turned the music up and just got in God's presence, and it's just amazing what getting in his presence does to change our perspective. Because our, our, our experience of joy comes from our experience of his grace and of his goodness. So if you come in here today, and it hasn't been exactly the most joyful season, you haven't had much to rejoice about, we have Christ. And there is good news today and that we can walk away no matter what circumstance we're facing, that we can walk in joy. And I believe that God's going to lead us into that in a deeper and deeper way uh, this week. You know, Jesus told us that life wouldn't be easy. I think sometimes when we say yes to Jesus, we think that things will get easier. Anybody ever thought that? Like when saying yes, you think that things will get easier and then in fact for a while they seem to get harder <laughs> They seem to get harder for some of you that have been baptized recently or, or said yes to Christ recently. It feels like you've been going uphill because there's so much that God's got to do in our heart in that time. And so Jesus said, he said, you're going to face sorrows, but the, the beauty of it is that we wouldn't face those sorrows forever, that they would, those sorrows would be transformed into his joy um, it, they wouldn't last. And I think the Psalms are filled with this. The Psalms are filled with a bunch of complaining. 
you know, we always read the 23rd Psalm and the Lord is my shepherd and all these things. There's all these other, out of the 150 or 51 uh, Psalms that are there, 70% of them are complaining, right? Because it's, it's, it's natural. You know, I think we all think we are a lot less of complainers than what we actually are. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Like, I feel like I'm not a complainer. Like, we don't complain. We're Nelsons. We don't complain. But then I find myself getting sick, and then it's like, I'm, eh, my poor thing, I'm hurting. Can you help me? You know, the man flu. It's like a real thing. It's a study. I'm trying to convince, trying to convince my wife. She doesn't believe the science on it, but um, we'll, just have a, we'll just have a home Bible study about the man flu. Um, but 70% of the Psalms are, are complaining. And so if you feel like that's you, that's okay. It's, it's okay. Uh, your spouse may not be okay with it. Your family might not be okay with it. But it's, it's okay like, to complain to God because he can do something about it. And it's being honest about our situation. God can handle the honest. God can handle today is terrible, God, and I'm upset about it, and I'm taking it out on you, and I know it's not your fault. God can handle all the honest. And so for anybody that's had a filter in your heart from like making sure that you speak like all pure and lovely, like it's okay. Like God wants real. He wants honest because he can do something with that. But when we keep this front and this filter that keeps really the true heart of how we're feeling, it really doesn't allow him to transform it into joy. And that's what I love about the Psalms is there's always these complaining in most of the Psalms, but there's always a big fat butt. But thou, O Lord, are the lifter of my head. God, when I'm focusing on my circumstance, you, you lift my head. God, you are my rock and you're my shield. You're my protector when people are saying negative things about me. You're my protector. God, when I'm trying to put my salvation in my works and I haven't been good enough, but you are my salvation. You're my rock and it's the butt transition that some of us maybe might need to hit this morning. Hit, hit where we just let out the complaining. It's been coming, but there's a a butt coming, and that butt is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. And I want to turn into the Old Testament. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, in which we find the birth narrative of Jesus um, most predominantly, and that's usually where we preach around. But I want to go to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, into the Old Testament, into a prophet who 700-plus years before Jesus was born prophesied that, that the Messiah would come, and he would come from a particular town, and, and, and there was like hundreds of uh, prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus, and, and this is just one of them here in Isaiah chapter 9. Sometimes we shy away from the prophets because uh, we don't quite understand the context, but I want to get us in there a little bit today. Isaiah, uh, again, was a, a prophet. He was a, he was a man. He was a man of God that God had chosen and, and Israel was a divided kingdom at this time. The northern kingdom were being dominated by the Assyrians, what's modern-day Syria. They were being dominated. They had been taken over. God's people were now split into two kingdoms. And the southern kingdom were in idol worship and evil. Like, yeah, this is God's people <laughs> getting beat up. This is God's people feeling lost and broken down and scattered about. And some are worshiping idols and the other half are being dominated by another country. Not exactly what we want to think of and identify with as God's people, but that's what was going on. And here Isaiah is called to these people to preach a message of salvation. And he preached for 50 or 60 years, and frankly, not a whole lot changed in that 50 to 60 years. There was still idol worship when he died. There was still domination taking place in this time. And 
The people were despondent. The pe- and, and I think Isaiah was frustrated. I, I, and I think sometimes you can almost hear that in his tone, that he's upset about this. And you can hear some anger because he's speaking for God about some of that anger or that, some of that evil and idolatry. And, and so we're going to lean in here at uh, Isaiah chapter 9. We're just going to read the first seven verses. And I want to come back and talk about that a little bit, what that means in our life when it comes to experiencing joy in his kingdom. Experience and joy in his kingdom. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Something's going to change. Nevertheless, something's going to change from the doom and gloom of these people in the northern kingdom, which is Galilee, which it says here. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, over close to the sea beyond the Jordan. So right now, the Jordan River separates the nation of, of Jordan and Israel. The Jordan River is right. And so by the way of the sea, and that's where we find the area of Galilee. And in the area of Galilee, we find the city of Nazareth that Jesus was born. So 700 years before, he's prophesying and declaring that, he's, that right now, Galilee, even though it looks like it's a mess, even though it's broken down, you're scattered apart, the other kingdom's down there and they're in evil worship, even though you feel like you're being dominated and you're getting beat up by life, you'll be honored. In, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. You've shattered that yoke. But in every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it. With justice and righteousness, from that time on, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's a powerful text, but it can be a lot for us to process and unpack, particularly when looking at our current climate, but maybe our current political and world climate is perfect for what this text says to us today and what some of us might be wrestling through. There's a lot here that this, this little town of Galilee, this little region of Galilee, they would be honored. Even though right now it looks like it's a mess. Even though you're getting beat up by life and by this other government, this other um, state, would be, you would, that mourning would turn into joy. I want to lean in first right here at verse 3 when he says, he, enla- he enlarged the nation. I love this. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. He's speaking prophetically like it's going to come to be. This is going to happen. And I believe that in this room and all across the the world, this has been being fulfilled since the time that Jesus arrived, our arrival of joy, since he showed up. 
Because at this to, up to this point, God had had this intimate, unique connection. And not that people weren't experiencing and, and had faith in God that weren't uh, Jews, but up to this time, God's covenant relationship had been with Israel. And now when Jesus would come 700 years later, that nation would be enlarged to people of faith. And there's a lot to unpack here, but it would be available not only to Jew, but to Gentile. So unless you have Jewish heritage, until the time of Jesus, that covenant relationship didn't come through Jesus, but it would be open for all. Similar to what we see in Luke chapter 2, that this good news, this good news would be for all people. It would bring great joy to all people. And I don't know when's the last time you just kind of zoomed out from your own spiritual walk and maybe even your own uh, taste of American Christianity for the most part. But people are experiencing God all across this world. People are coming to know this message of Jesus. And what started with one being baptized, and, and Jesus led 12 to be baptized, and then to uh, 72, and then to 120, and it just began to expand, and he's enlarging the nation. I heard a statistic recently that there's been more people come to Christ in the past 50 years, the past generation, than all of the generations that led up to that time. That's baffling and hard to fathom, no pun intended, but it's hard, it's hard to imagine that there's been that kind of multiplication, but that's what happens in multiplication. And God's heart is that your family, that your friends, if you're here today, God's heart for you is, is to bring you and to adopt you into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. I love what 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10 say, because they just express God's yearning heart, and we have to get the whole thing, not just a piece of it, um, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Sometimes we'll say this, not wanting any to perish. Like God's heart is that none should perish, that all would have eternal life, but They've got to come to repentance. And if you're in this room and you just know that God loves you, but you haven't repented and confessed Jesus Christ as Savior, you haven't come into the family of God yet. You haven't. You haven't repented. God's heart is that none should perish. And, 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 and that burning longing for even your greatest enemies, that which you wish harm on and you want to speak evil on and wish God would just take them out, had somebody ask um, this, this week about uh, the sons of thunder in the New Testament. A couple of the disciples are known as the sons of thunder. He was asking this question, why were they called that? And I was like, because they were fiery dudes. And when people didn't receive the message, they, called, they wanted God to like take them out. And sometimes we do that maybe with someone that's opposing us or a boss that's being rude to us or the person that cuts us off in traffic, right? But God's heart is that none should perish. And I just wonder if our heart is the same as God in this. And knowing that the heart of the kingdom is ever expansion, is ever increasing, that God's kingdom, what Jesus came to establish, would be an ever increasing and ever growing kingdom that will never end. In other countries, we see it far more often than what we see it in the United States, but an overthrow of government and a new kind of political system taking place. There's, the Middle East is like a, a great example of that right now because there's so much uncertainty. And at this time, 
the people here in Galilee, they, they had that uncertainty. They were dominated. They had been controlled by another nation. And here, this proclamation spoke volumes to their hearts. And, and I, I just wonder if we have that, that same heart to see God's kingdom enlarged to increase. The statistics on evangelism in the, the local church are kind of daunting. They're kind of, they're kind of sad, frankly. 89% of believers believe that they should be sharing the gospel. They should be sharing this good news. And 69% of them actually feel comfortable. 69% of us actually feel comfortable sharing that. That statistic's a little surprising. I actually think it's probably lower than that. But only 25% actually share the good news. And sometimes it's once a year to actually share it. And there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of things, but I, I want to challenge you this week that there is a message of the gospel that is hidden in your heart. I want to challenge you to spread the good news. And I think one of the ways we do that is through our joy and our attitude. If we were just proclaiming the gospel through our attitude this past week, pick a day. Go ahead and pick your worst day. <laughs> How would we be doing at declaring the gospel? And we're not going to do that on our own. It's through uniting in Christ and finding our joy in him. And I just believe in this season. I believe as we go into the next two weeks in this holiday season, I believe that God wants to increase the, the borders and the territory of this local ministry and all across the church worldwide as people come to know about the gospel and God's grace in their life. The second thing that's said there in verse 3 is that increased their joy. You, would, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. I don't know. For most of you, you're believers. If you're not in the house, um, you, I'll just kind of let you into at least what my journey was. I remember when I first met Jesus, and I would, I would tell you I was a kind of a mess. I was a mess. And, 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 and I, that mess, I felt like, got messier as I said yes because God began to break and shatter some things in my heart. And, and what, but what I've seen as I've walked with him, that my joy has increased in him more and more day by day. I don't know. I'd love to see someone who is up in their years, maybe in their 80s or even 90s, that have walked with God many years, kind of like Isaiah did faithfully, even when it's been tough, they've been faithful. I love to sit and be with these people because there is a joy that I need and that I want in my life that is unwavered, especially when they've hit health, you know, concerns and their bodies are giving away all the while their spirits are being renewed day by day. I love that scripture and it's encouraging to me. And wherever you're at today, I believe that even if you feel like, yeah, I've got joy, I believe that God wants to increase that joy, increase that joy. And not just for our own good, that others might see this joy within us walking through maybe even the toughest parts of our life, even through working through some complaining, but coming to a place in his presence and encountering his grace, that joy wells up within us. The deeper we experience his grace, the fuller we experience, the more fully we can experience his joy. And so if we ever run to a place of, I, I'm not experiencing this joy, we just need to experience his grace a little bit deeper and deeper. And every single year that's gone by in my life and my walk with God, I've experienced his grace deeper. And when I thought I got past something uh, in my life, a certain insecurity, a certain fear, a certain you know, sin that I saw myself repeat, um, repeat I, I saw God's grace sweep in and say, it's not by your strength, it's mine. 
And I've been able to experience his grace deeper. Because remember what we said in the first week. Joy is not the opposite of sorrow. It's the transformation of it. It's not, it's, it's not like we either have sorrow or we have joy. No, it's we have sorrow, but it transforms into joy as we experience and encounter his grace. Or just like me last Friday, to just be reminded of his grace. To just in, encounter his presence. And this, what's being said here is such a powerful, powerful um, message to us. And the scriptures scream testimony after testimony of God's faithfulness, of transformation from sorrow to joy. What's said in the text here, if you'll go back to the text real quick, it's like hard harvest time. After the hard season over and men divide the spoil, it's just that type of joy of experiencing that the work is done. The work is done at the cross. I think verse 4 goes on to tell us that in even a larger way. Let's read that together. Verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. What a powerful, powerful text. For as in the day of Midian's defeat. He's referring back. Some of you will remember when we did our God of the Underdog series. How many of you guys were part of that? Remember that God of the Underdog? We talked about Gideon. And he's referring back to Judges chapter 7. And if you remember to that story, that there was, um, Gideon had 82,000 men to go to war with. And God said, no, no you don't need 82,000. He, he, he gave them a, a, a simple little formula to send 72,000 of them home. So he went from 82,000 to 10,000. So that's, so he's like, no, you're going to be good with 10,000 and I don't know about you, but like with me, like, no, I think more the merrier when we're going into battle. And God says, no, we can do it with that. And then he, again, he, he says, we can do it with less. You can do it with less. I can, I can do this with less. And so it gets down to where there's only 300 men to go to battle. And it's this incredible victory in the history of Israel uh, um, in defeating Midian. And there's such a, a powerful text for us that said here, that, that, that it's shattered. I love how the NIV, not every translation put it, puts it like this, but I think it's true to the Greek here, or true to the Hebrew, that, that he breaks, he shatters it. There's a difference from something being broken and being shattered. If I break a stick, that's one thing. If something is shattered, if a glass is shattered in your kitchen, you're not putting it back. And I think what I've found with most of our lives is we have these moments of freedom. And in God's kingdom, it's ever increasing. It's so full of joy. And it's full of freedom too. It's to encounter and experience his freedom in such a deeper and more powerful way. And that's the, that's the third thing here in verse four. I think that it's saying to us that he shatters the rod of our oppressor. He shatters the yoke of slavery that's been upon us. And that's what Jesus did when he came. We were, we were in bondage to our sin, and the law simply just pointed us to the fact that we couldn't do this on our own. We, could, we couldn't do it on your very best day. Isaiah actually said, it's like filthy rags. It, it, it just doesn't pale in comparison um, to, the, to the goodness of God and the glory of God in which perfection, we can't be perfect. Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So this is a huge victory, and our joy should be like that. We should be experiencing this freedom that they experienced, we, that his kingdom would bring this freedom into our lives. And God wants to shatter the yoke. 
whatever that yoke of slavery, whether it's to an addiction, whether it's to an insecurity, whether it's to a fear, whatever that, that yoke, that, that burden, that maybe it's that stress about money. I bet in this season there's just a lot of folks that have been stressing about money. Right? If I asked you to raise your hand, I think a bunch of us probably raise it. Been stressing about money. And whatever it is, God wants to, to shatter that yoke that, that, that just keeps us burdened. He wants to shatter it and not be put back together. And that's usually what happens. I think Galatians 5.1 is perfect for us this morning. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. He uses the exact same phrasing that Isaiah is using here, that God is speaking through Isaiah. Don't stand firm. Like, don't be burdened again. I had experienced God's joy, but last Friday, I had to be reminded to stand firm in it and not allow that yoke of slavery, of worry, of anxiety, to not let it get back on my shoulders. And going back to the text, I think it's so powerful because it's not just the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, but what's shattered is the rod of their oppressor. This is huge for us today because some of us we, we don't realize that the enemy has been disarmed. The enemy has been disarmed. The rod of your oppressor of, that says you're not good enough, that says you're not victorious. Nope, you're just an addict. You're just the same person you've always been. The rod of your oppressor, it has been broken. Anything they would accuse of you has been broken and brought freedom into your life. And, and, and walking in God's freedom is not a one-time occurrence. It's a daily choice to stand firm in that freedom. I always put it like this. I think about the man on the moon and the flag gets put in the moon like we conquered this first. I always think about that and that flag of freedom we don't ever let go of. We don't walk away from, we just hang on to it as a flag was put in. And maybe that day is today for someone that's been letting that yoke of slavery be put back on again. Hang on to that flag of freedom. Stand firm in it and don't let that yoke of slavery be put back in. So many of us, we, we coddle our sin when God wants to shatter it. We, we, we coddle almost and, and we just expect and, and we just receive the attacks of the enemy as opposed to taking authority in Christ where we have freedom and we have victory. And I believe in this room and, and around our city and in our neighborhoods, like there's a lot of people who are experiencing slavery in a lot of different ways. And obviously, I'm not talking about physical slavery. Maybe there's some people in our community that are facing physical slavery. But emotional slavery, slavery to sin, Slavery to good works. We've got, we've got a lot of people in this Jacksonville area that have religion in them, but no relationship. And maybe you're in this room and, and you've had the religious thing and you've been trying to be a good person, but the gospel says that none of us are good enough. And we're not going to come to that freedom until we come to that truth and go deeper. And I just believe in this season, God is going to bring freedom to people in this room and in our city. Verse 5 goes on, and this is one of the most powerful points here. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. That sounds intense, right? When I start hearing about blood and people covered in blood and stuff, it's kind of scary, and their, their boots covered. And this is phraseology of a battle and a war. 
at the end, you wouldn't need your bloody clothes anymore. Your bloody boots, you wouldn't take those home if you had like some like muddy boots that got so dirty, you're like, eh, they're done. Or if you've been in battle and you're covered in blood, you're not going to take them home and try to wash them. You're just going to burn them. This is screaming to us, the battle is over. When the Messiah comes, when he comes, he's not only going to enlarge the nation, he's not only going to increase joy for God's people in his kingdom, he's not just going to bring freedom and shatter the yoke of slavery and the rod of their oppressor. Not only that, but they will walk in victory. In God's kingdom, there is victory. And we are victorious people. This is screaming to us, the battle's over. The battle's over. What did Jesus say hanging on the cross, his last words? It's over. And maybe some of us living in his kingdom haven't been living like the battle's over. We've been still working in our own efforts and our own strife and not just, just taking the bloodied clothes off and throwing them in the fire. And it's over. It's over. As we'll come to the table here in just a few moments and, and worship and, and honor God and think about his sacrifice, that, that cup there represents his blood that was poured out for us. It represents that. And so my heart for you today is you would be reminded of the blood that was poured out for you that were all over his clothes. And whatever bloodied clothes or bloodied boots you come in here with, that life has beat you up. Whatever abuse that you've gone through, whatever accuser you've had in your life, whatever struggles, be it relational or financial, you've had and you feel a little bit beat up and bloodied throw them in the fire this morning and what's beautiful I my favorite part in this whole text they will be fuel for the fire <laughs> they'll be fuel for the passion that God puts in you to enlarge the nation to let his joy shine through your life they are fuel for the fire got nothing in God's kingdom is wasted and so if you feel like years have been wasted in your life nope they're just fuel for the fire now they're fuel for what God's going to do in 2018. If 2017 has been the worst year of your life, if November has been the worst month in your life, in 2000, God's going to use it to be fuel for the fire, but we've got to be willing to take it off and throw it in the fire and say battle's over. He, he did it. It's over. Whatever you've come in bloody and beat up by, it's not been wasted. It's fuel for the fire now. Can you receive that today? Let's read the rest of the text, and I just want to highlight God's character, the character of Christ in particular. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will be faithful to the end. Let's just stop there and talk about this. Because we look at these, he will be called, but really it, what it's saying is this is the character of Jesus Christ. The Messiah that will come, this is his character. This is his goodness. He's simply wonderful. He's wonderful. I think many times we're, we're running after God for counselor at times or yeah, I need you to be mighty in my life. I need you to bring peace to my life. And we don't just simply remember he's, he's wonderful. I love that. I think it's Lionel Richie. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she lovely? I just want you to stop and just remember that he, he's wonderful. Isn't she wonderful? I just want you to remember he's, he's wonderful. 
right? Before you need him to be Prince of Peace, before you need him to be Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He's just wonderful. And if you haven't experienced his grace in order to experience true joy that's not, that, 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 that keeps us pressing through and enjoying our life, God has come that we might experience life and experience it to the full. He wants us to experience the fact that he's just, he's he's good. He's good. He's a counselor to us. That's his character. It's who Jesus is. He didn't come to to just say it is finished and then never be in relationship with us. I think I talked about this a couple weeks ago that Thomas Jefferson really believed that God was just a watchmaker, that he got the clock started and jumped back. That's not our God. He's a, he's a counselor. Jesus is with you when you're being bloodied. You're not in battle alone. When you're being dominated by another country, figuratively speaking, unless you're playing risk or something. You guys don't know. Um, He's our counselor. He's our counselor. He's mighty God. He's all-powerful and all-knowing. He's into the details and circumstances of your life, and he is able to bring victory. Everlasting Father. It's not saying that, that Jesus is the everlasting Father, though we believe God three in one. He's not necessarily speaking about that, that title of God the Father, but, but speaking about Christ's existence from the very moment of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That He, Jesus, has been here since the beginning. He is an everlasting Father, overseeing it all, and Prince of Peace. Not just bringing peace in the peace on earth, goodwill to men, bringing peace between us and God. And so many times we're worried about peace out there, but peace out there is going to happen people in this world begin to experience peace in here. It's just the reality. You want more peace in your home? Experience more peace in here. More peace in your marriage? Experience more peace in here. He wants to increase the nation. He wants to increase adopting people into the family of God. He wants joy to be increased in your life. He wants you to experience freedom and experience the victorious life that he that Jesus came to establish a kingdom that was full of freedom, full of joy, ever increasing and victorious. And sadly, so many believers walk around defeated. Walk around defeated. So where are you at this morning? Are you bloodied by the battle? Frustrated by sharing the good news, maybe like Isaiah reminded, need to get back in his presence, be reminded of his joy this morning? Or or have you again taken that yoke of slavery and put it on you? Do we need to stand firm or just let him shatter it this morning? Whatever that might be in your life, he wants to bring us to a place of victory and be reminded of who he is. He's simply wonderful. Can you imagine what would happen in our world? I mean, just think about the influence that's in this room. Like, you know somebody different than I know, Rhonda. You've got a whole different circle. I've never been to your house before. I don't think you've been to my house. We should get together sometime. Hang out. Let's get our families together. 
I've, I've never, I, I don't know all the people that you work with, Josh. I haven't met any of them. All this different influence, but if we could somehow, like Jesus' prayer is that, that we would do even greater things that, than what he did, and that's hard to fathom. But I just see all across this room, if we could grab a hold of, of his grace and get deeper into his presence to understand that, I just think there's going to be a light that shines around you the next time the tank is flooding everywhere and you've been whatever that might be figuratively when it's all fallen apart and you're bloodied by the circumstance that there's still a joy there and somebody's like that's not human because if I were there I'd be doing this I'd be I'd be living in fear I'd, I'd be scared that's not we're victorious we walk in freedom there's an increasing joy he wants to bring in your life and it's not just for us in this room it's for our neighbor it's for our co-workers it's for our family and friends and I just want to challenge you to let that light shine let that light shine through you because God will use it and like for the people of Galilee it was 700 years later before Jesus arrived that was a lot of bloody days for Isaiah he preached every day of his life 50 possibly 60 